Thanks for tuning in to Does Not Compute, and thanks to today's sponsor, Linode, for their longtime support of the show. Linode makes it a snap to spin up virtual private servers. You can have a new server up in just minutes at any of their eight data centers around the world. Select your RAM size and favorite Linux distribution, and you're all set. Best of all, Linode has some of the most competitive VPS pricing around. Their 1GB servers are only $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting at 16GB for only $60 a month. That means you can get double the RAM at Linode for the same price you'd pay at most other virtual server hosts. Linode also has some great add-on services that make it easy to build out your application architecture. Their automated backups are a great easy way to give yourself peace of mind, and they also offer load balancing with node balancers and detailed system metrics through Longview. Check out linode.com slash does not compute to learn more. When you sign up that link using the promo code does not compute 2017, they'll give you a $20 account credit to get started. Take a look at linode.com slash does not compute today. Everything sounds so good, Sean. Everything sounds wonderful. Everything sounds everything sounds different and looks different for me because I have a new desk set up. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. We are on uh, Discord recording this instead of Skype for anyone listening because you won't hear any difference. We could do, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on things that have gone wrong or things that just straight don't work for us, which is mostly everything, all the different services we tried. We could practically do that episode every single week. With all the issues that we've had in the past, just of, getting a phone call to work. There are a lot of issues. I, I mean, so recently, I, I think I talked about it maybe last episode, getting the, the MacBook Pro in an external monitor. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Yeah, so I settled on, oh, I don't remember the exact model. I'll have to put it in the show notes, but I settled on a Dell Ultrawide. I've never had an Ultrawide before, so it's uh, 34 inches wide and is pretty, pretty awesome. I, I actually really like this monitor a lot. You, you like the ultra-wide format? Because I know you were a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not 4K, but I like after after a few days of using it, I didn't care <laughs> anymore because it, it's super nice. So I have, at any given time, I have my code editor open. I have either a terminal in VS Code open that's running my test suite, or I have another terminal window open that is running my test suite. And I have my monitor open with the dev tools, usually with like the view dev tools or something open. And especially if I'm running my tests from within VS Code's terminals, I can have everything on the screen at once. So I can have basically my full width code editor. I have my full width browser with the dev tools open and I can see my tests running all within one eye shot. So you're doing like a, uh, like a three up side by side uh, kind of thing? Not like three, like kind of. So the left hand side, the left half of the screen is split uh, horizontally. And then the right-hand side of the screen is just the browser. And I'll drag the dev tools around um, however I need them. But basically, I have the terminal usually... It, so in VS Code, there's a little button you can use to toggle it open. or like You can leave it open all the time, but you can make it tall or short. And so my short version is just the test output. So I can see like X passed, X failed every time I save. I usually use Guard for Rails or for Elixir, I've been using... Uh, test.watch, I think it's called. I can put that repo in the show notes as well. But basically, anytime I save something, Guard's a little smarter. Guard will, like, if you're in one test file, it'll run just a test in that file. Whereas test.watch will just run all your tests. But it's mm-hmm. so fast, it doesn't bother me anyway. It just, it's just kind of nice to have, uh, it's nice to have that security. Like, if I change something, like, my test over there will run and I'll know if I affected something over there. Definitely. I mean, it's, 
so you you mentioned it's not a 4K. It's just a like a standard, basically just like a an old school 27 inch iMac, but wider, right? Yeah, it's a 29, 21 by nine format. I believe the aspect ratio is. Yeah, it's just it's just wider. And you know, originally I, I I've been so used to looking at a 5K Retina iMac, and at first it's like, oh, I can see all these little pixels, but now I'm looking at it and I don't really notice that much to be honest maybe the biggest difference for me was a text rendering because text on retina screens are so smooth yeah yeah definitely i mean for me it's like i love retina displays on phones and tablets and laptops i think they're pretty much indispensable at this point but uh, i don't know my workstation i've never really had an issue with it It, it's never been something like i've seen and used the the 5k imax and they're they're super nice for sure but um I, I just don't feel like I at least get the same benefits. I don't think my vision is good enough to get the same benefits <laughs> at that distance. Right. And I'm not doing I'm not doing like bitmap work and photo work and all that stuff. So to me, it doesn't really matter. To me, I'd rather have the screen real estate. I'd rather be able to see everything at a quick glance. And the cool thing is, you know, with Webpack and all the all of our cool modern technology with, you know, browser with uh, what's called hot reloading and swapping and stuff like that, like being able to see the page like swap out without having to tab from my editor to the browser is kind of cool because sometimes I can lose context when I'm switching between, but also having the dev tools open, you know, being able to have like my data update in real time like that as well, again, without losing context, it's kind of dumb, but it's like a half a second, right? To switch between my code editor and my browser. But sometimes the half a second is enough for me to like, I have so much flowing through my mind at once. It's enough for me to lose context on what I was like specifically doing at that moment. Oh yeah, I mean it sounds it sounds absurd, but the same thing happens to me all the time. Yeah, so that's the biggest thing I've noticed is that I don't have that happen to me as much because I am seeing so much on the same screen at the same time. It's it's been awesome. And my you know my my MacBook Pro hasn't had any troubles driving it. The fan doesn't come on. There's no rendering issues. There's no nothing. It's great. And I mean apart from the screen, I'm actually really happy with my desk setup because you, I think you of all people know how paranoid I am about I gotta have my cables wrapped up and put in a little little tube you know and uh, it you have you have the cleanest working desk of anyone I've ever met certainly it has it has to be that like uh, a few days ago I dropped a banana on it and I immediately got up and I was like I gotta wash my desk I gotta clean it I dropped a banana on it and then I immediately fell (laughs) right I'm sorry I slipped and broke my monitor um I, Uh, I picked up what you were insinuating there Someone threw the banana peel in through my window, trying to keep me, keep me back in the in the lineup. But uh, so I actually really like this USB C setup because I have an old um, what do you what do you call it? Just like a stand, like a MacBook Pro stand I used to ha- I used to use. And so I mean, it's not made for like a 2016, but it works. And so I I prop it in that, and I plug two cords in, and those two cords plug in my monitor. Uh, I mean, they're, they're connected to dongles, but my monitor, it connects my monitor. It connects uh, a USB-C bank. It connects my, my, um, my audio interface. It connects my, my laptop's power. It connects my external speakers. And so it just looks really neat because out of this little, I have like a cable drop attached to the back of my desk. So out of this, out of the end of the cable drop comes two cords and they plug into the computer and that's it. And it works flawlessly. So last time I had an external monitor set up, I was always having these troubles where I would plug stuff in and then the monitor wouldn't work right. So I'd have to open my computer and then put it back to sleep and then plug it back in. And, or like my speakers wouldn't work right or my audio interface would be bugging out. And I haven't had any issues with this so far. Yeah, we've been, we've been doing a lot of calls lately actually. And 
it's just been so painless and sounds so much better now. Yeah, it feels a lot better. I don't know what it was about the last setup. I think it maybe it was FireWire to Thunderbolt and there's some weird stuff that happens, especially with web-based services like Discord or, or even like Slack calling. My audio would be really choppy. It just wouldn't work. It was pretty much everything other than Skype, really. Right. <laughs> yeah, anything other like, than Skype. Really close to it. Or Zoom, but you, I don't they, I don't want to deal with that, you know? Um, yeah, so I'm just going, I actually, I think it was Marco that recommended it in one of his posts. And so I picked up an Onyx Blackjack made by Mackie and it just works and it looks nice on the desk. It's small, compact. It just works great. So feeling pretty good about my setup these days. I just keep thinking about Factorio. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like programming, programming. Um, it's like practice programming. It really is. It really is. And I guess actually, we, I guess actually, we could talk about it from that angle. Why not? I think people um, get a kick out of it. Well, so Sean, the reason we've been on all these calls lately is uh, we've been playing a we've been playing a game. Video games. Yeah. 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 This is does not compute your uh, virtual reality and video game podcast. <laughs> We're pivoting. We're pivoting our topics. Pivoting. Yeah. So you introduced me to a game called Factorio. And I have since introduced uh, at least three other people to this game called Factorio. Uh, and it, <laughs> to this cult called Factorio. How do I? So even at like even at jujitsu. So my my instructor, he he's into video games, and a few other people that are there play as well. And I was talking to the instructor, and some other guy I ever heard, and I said, "Yeah, it's like it's like uh, Minecraft mixed with Age of Empires." And as soon as I said Age of Empires, he was like, "Hold on a minute!" And he comes over, and he's like, "Did you say Age of Empires?" <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then it was just kind of like a, a 10 minute like nostalgic conversation about how just so many people like Age of Empires was such a huge game for, for so many people. But Factorio gives me a lot of those feelings, like a lot of like the world building, civilization building stuff. But it's also like mixed with Minecraft and Roller Coaster Tycoon, which I think was really cool because I played both of those games quite a bit. Yeah, that's it really is like an amalgamation of all of the best long-term strategy games i guess it's it's uh it's fantastic i think i mean for me what really gets me is that it's basically uh, factorio to me is what programming would be like if programming were a video game yeah exactly exactly so i was um i slept in later this morning than i normally do and it felt really good so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna see what happens if i just stay here and so i had my laptop and i opened it and i was just watching some youtube videos and the cool thing is i feel like i'm learning how to I'm learning more about problem solving by watching other people, how they solve similar problems that I'm facing. And that's something that's really cool because that's something that we do in programming a ton. I mean, you go read other people's code, so you learn how they solve problems, that you, then you can take that and apply that to your toolbox of knowledge. And what's what's cool is I find myself doing many of the same things that I do in programming, taking notes, researching. I'm doing those things exactly the same way. <laughs> I even sent you a screenshot earlier of, of my to-do list, Paul. Um, I usually have like a daily to-do list and I sent you a screenshot and it's my factorial to-do list. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've been joking about setting up a GitHub for just to have the issues. Yeah. We. <laughs> oh, what was it yesterday? I found, I found a group of people that were sharing Google spreadsheets around with each other and they were coloring in cells to be different belts of material types. Yeah. So I'm sure the vast majority of people listening know, uh, or at least have heard of Factorio and have some idea of what it is. Um, but for anybody who isn't aware, uh, effectively, Factorio is a game where 
you're a person who has crash landed on this planet and you have to kind of, you have to rebuild all of your technology from scratch and create a giant factory in order to build rockets. And there, I mean, there's not really any reason that you build the rockets other than in order to build them. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, there's not, I, now you get science for them, I believe, but, uh, but it's a, it's a super interesting game and you just build a humongous factory, like, like absolutely massive. Um, and, and you have to connect things with belts and eventually you get robots that fly around and do things for you. It's super, super cool. Um, highly recommend it checking it out. Anybody who enjoys this podcast will be very, very likely, I think, to enjoy that game. Well, if you like if you like tinkering with things, if you like uh, solving problems and tinkering, this is like this is straight up your alley. And that's what I like about it. And that's what I liked about Age of Empires is because you're always tinkering with how to build your civilization. And you know, Factorio is not quite as much about conquering other civilizations. I mean you're defending yourself against bugs or biters, I think they're called. But that's what it is to me is like, okay, well, you built a base one way, but there's a million different ways you could do it. And there's a million different ways you could do things to uh, increase efficiency, right? It's just the idea of being more efficient and using your resources more efficiently. And I think that's what kind of gets me hooked is those the possibilities. And the same way with like guitar, you know, there's a million different ways to practice and learn and play things. So a lot of those, the qualities of things that I enjoy, um, Factorio has it. Even with jujitsu, it's the same thing. There's a million different ways to to do any sort of move or defend against any sort of move, right? And it's funny because it's like Factorio checks all those boxes. <laughs> and now I'm thinking about it. Um, and I don't, I, maybe I don't feel as guilty when I play it because I can kind of convince myself like, hey, this is helping me become a better programmer. <laughs> it, it certainly, at the very least, it, it does give your brain a good workout. And I mean, it, like you were saying, in a lot of the ways that programming does. Um, so, so for example, there are... Uh, a dozen different ways to do something in Factorio, but what is good or bad about each one of those are are this are often very similar. What is good similar to what is good or bad about a particular programming solution? Like it's like oh this is this is the most efficient way to do it, but it doesn't work with the layout that I ha- already have, right? Or this is this reduces the strain on a different part of my system, but it has this kind of one downside to it in setting it up this way. And and I think that that's often, so, so often, the exact problems that we're solving as programmers, as engineers, right? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly, it's exactly that. Like you said, we have something that's already set up and you find this really cool solution to something, but it doesn't exactly fit. And then you start finding yourself weighing a cost-benefit analysis, like, okay, so this obviously is more efficient, but what will I have to do to implement this? Do I have to tear up all these blocks? I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to use a solution, which to me is like a direct, I have those exact same thoughts when I'm working on the different apps that I'm working on. Like, okay, that looks really cool, but it won't quite fit. And I don't have time to pull out all these wires and plug them back in. So it was kind of funny. And what, like, what it really struck me was when we were playing the first map, maybe, and you're like, oh, I have to refactor this area. I was like, excuse me. The term completely yeah, it, fit. it completely fits. Yeah, it's it's what you're doing. You are you do go back and refactor things as you as requirements change, as what the the resources you have available change. It's it's pretty cool. Definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm having a good time with it. And like you said, it, it's a good mental workout. Which for me, I've been kind of burnt out a little bit lately, just because I've been working so hard and. What's cool is I can work those same muscles out. I can work the problem solving, the thinking, like trying to see things from another angle 
but it doesn't feel like work. I'm actually just playing a video game. So it kind of, for me, it's like, you know, like if you get, your body gets tired and you're like, I'm going to take a break from the gym for a couple of weeks, you go back in two weeks, it's going to suck really bad. But I feel like in my taking a little bit of a break for a few days from programming, this is kind of keeping those muscles moving in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of a, uh, I'm not going to make an, an analogy about physical fitness. That's not something I know <laughs> anything about. <laughs> Uh, I think you know enough. You you know enough, but it, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And it, what's really cool is that I've introduced a few people to it, and they're not programmers, but they they still enjoy it for the same reasons. I think so. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be a game I'm playing for a while, which is cool because it's on Steam, and I normally don't play it on my computer. And I'm going to be doing some traveling this summer, so um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to be like lugging a PS4 around in my backpack. So this kind of this, I feel like it's good timing for me anyway because I'll. I'll be playing this on the road. Nice. So besides video games, what else has been going on? I don't, we haven't really talked about what exactly we've been working on lately. Uh, I know you've been super busy with checkout and e-commerce kind of stuff for your, for your app. Yeah. So basically over the last week ish, I, I kind of wrapped up all, all of the stuff for purchasing on Nest Notes, uh, which I'm, which I'm super happy about. I think I've got a pretty, pretty flexible system in place there. Um, I'm actually, using single table inheritance which is uh often almost always an anti-pattern but uh in this case it it's actually working out superbly well um i have just like a base print product class which is uh, just the the things that people can buy and it it effectively defines um an interface and so if i have a specific print product so for example our first one is photo sets and that's just you select some photos that you've uploaded and you're like i want them to be this size and then you can crop them and all that stuff um but then i'm at, that that class actually just has a metadata field which is a json b so i can store arbitrary things in there and actually validate that incoming data f- for the for the given class so photo set derives from print product right mm-hmm. but then for for photo set itself I actually have a JSON schema inside of it that says, hey, here is the metadata that this particular type of print product needs to have. And it actually validates all that just automatically. It's, it's, it's a great way to have that, that um, flexible data. You still get a lot of the benefits of like a, a document-oriented database, like something like Mongo, for example. But you still get all, all the niceties that you get in SQL. So I, I think it's a really nice balance for things like that, um, especially and what really makes that possible is, is using JSON schema. JSON schema is the best. I love it. And that's what you're using just for validating the schema before you put it into the JSONB column, right? Yeah, I'm using I'm using JSON schema in several places in Nest Notes now. Um, all, all for things like that. Like I, I have JSON input of some sort, and it what exactly it needs to be is very context dependent. And so this is just a super easy, flexible way to to handle that. Instead of having to write crazy validations or do a bunch of manual work in Ruby, I can just say it's like, okay, this this thing needs to be an array and it needs to have at least one item and here are the available items that it can have and it can't have any other items or it can depending on the context, right? Right, um, yeah. And it, it's it's just a really, really fantastic way to work. I've been super happy with it. So, I mean, I've, I've checked it out a little bit. I haven't needed it quite yet. So I have been using JSONB and I, I love it for exactly the reasons why you mentioned it because it gives you similar feelings to using a document store, but obviously you can fall back on, like the rest of your application is in Postgres and Postgres is, is great. Um, I, in my case, actually, I've been using it to store, uh, for part of the shipping stuff, we get uh, API responses from EasyPost. 
And anytime an order is updated, I don't necessarily want to have to fire off a new request. So I cache some certain values from them and I store it in JSONB. Uh, and it's been working great because obviously there's certain criteria where I need to get new a new payload for that. But in most cases, I don't. So I can... I can exactly store what they send me from their API and I have access to all the different keys and things that I need. And it just goes in one column. And if, you know, if EasyPost changes their API output, it's not going to bust anything. Nothing's going to break. I'm not going to get any like, oh, this column is not defined in the database or something, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, the real power of that, as opposed to kind of what people previously did before Postgres had really good JSON support is you would just serialize it and then store it as a string or something. Right. Um, it was a, a very common common thing to do. And the big downside there, obviously, is that you can't query. But when you're using actual JSONB columns, you can structure, you can still set up queries for that. You can dive into that JSON and, and just explore the keys, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and another, I mean, another thing I'm using it for is is for settings, you know, for like user settings or like store preferences. Uh, most recently, I set up a bunch of preferences for stores and how their their contacts get notified, so they can opt um, they can opt in or out of like weekly inventory emails that go out to their customers or like different sale emails that might go out to their customers. So uh, on a store by store basis, they can control their notifications, and that's just stored in a JSONB column. JSON B, the way of the present. So let me ask you about this. I saw an interesting, um, I saw an interesting thing when I was researching. You know, like the best way to to store user settings and stuff like that. And obviously, I settled on just storing some JSON in a, in a column, a JSON B column. But uh, I saw a group of people that were talking about they prefer actually creating a whole new table uh, for settings. So they might have like a, a user preferences settings table and then a user that would belong to you know users obviously mm-hmm. and then they each user basically would have their own instance of that and that would be customized up but i i'd never i would never have thought to use that approach and i'm curious to think uh to see what you think about that I, I mean i'm sure there is some case where it is a good idea to do that i'm not sure offhand what that case is though to me like offhand unless you unless i had something super complex in, in terms of user permissions that i didn't always need I'm not sure why I would do that because it seems like it'd just be a lot of unnecessary joins. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Because then you, like you said, you're throwing a join into the mix, you're throwing more migrations into the mix. Um, and then, not that it's, a, I mean, if, if you needed to change your settings set up, you would have to create migrations for it and stuff like that. So I don't know, I just would never have thought to do that. So I was interested to, to see what you thought. Oh, I can certainly see the reasoning for structuring it as a separate class, like structuring your permissions logic in its own class. That to me makes a lot of sense, but I, in in terms of how I would actually store that in the database, I still think in that case I would it usually tend to just leave it in a single table. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what I opted for. It's it's working for me pretty well. Thanks again to Linode for sponsoring. Does not compute. Linode offers great SSD-backed virtual servers at an incredible price. You can get a one gigabyte server for only five dollars a month. Check out linode.com slash does not compute to learn more. When you sign up, make sure to use the promo code does not compute 2017 and Linode will give you $20 in account credit to get started.